When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This was saga feel like in the nighttime. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of West Side Stories, your Raptors 905 podcast. I'm Kelsey, once again joined by Dwayne Notice. Dwayne, how are you? I'm great. It's Sunday fun day. <laughs> it's Sunday fun day. There are so many new TV episodes coming out tonight. We've got Dexter, Succession, Insecure. Um, if you guys haven't watched Yellow Jackets, you should watch that. The second episode's coming out soon. But we're not here to talk about TV, although both of us could do that all day. We are here to talk about your Raptors 905. So the 905 just had back-to-back games against the Long Island Nets. Um, One was a little more successful than the other. We're going to jump into what we liked the most from the first game so far. So, Dwayne, why don't you take it away? What did you like from the first game against the Long Island Nets? Well, for me, first game was, you know, a true test of character. First time our guys were on the road. Um, and they handled business. And for me, I liked a lot. I saw a lot of productions from a lot of people. Um, first of all, I want to talk about Keon Harris and his ability to just be solid all around. Um, I think we just talked about it before, but, you know, he has high production in a small amount of time. He went 7 for 14 from the field, 16 points. He also had a couple rebounds. Um, so I like to see him continue to be aggressive and also, you know, be a star in his role. And then, you know, uh, the production from – uh, David Johnson, he was just stuffing the stat sheet. I mean, he had seven assists. Um, he had 22 points off of eight of 20 shooting. Um, just showing that he could do a lot of things. Um, eight rebounds. I love his aggression. And like you said before, just making simple reads. Guy goes under the screen. He's shooting it. Got a lot of baskets in transition. And he was very effective being uh, unselfish. So I think it's paying dividends for his game. Um, it was good to see Brins hit Tyree just get the opportunity to come off injury and get into the swing of things. So I'm excited about his future with the 905. Yeah, for sure. David Johnson is really rounding out as a player, not only as a scorer and a defender, but also as a playmaker. You know, we saw we saw him give up a lot of good looks to get great looks for his teammate, which is what you want in kind of your floor general or someone who's going to be leading your team for the foreseeable future. I mean, the parent club hasn't called him up yet, so I think most of his time as opposed to Justin Champagne, will be spent down with the 905. And I think just leaning into that opportunity, like we talked about last episode, is is proving really fruitful for him because he has become so well-rounded. And just the difference between last week and this week was almost night and day with him. Yeah, it seems like he's really understanding what his role is on the team. And also, just as he progressed in the season, he's getting more comfortable. Um, you know, just talk about his athleticism, his aggression, and, you know, the more comfortable he is, the better he is. And like you said, him being unselfish and looking for his teammates is, is, is also paying off for him himself because he's able to, you know, open up the lane for himself when it's time for him to score because guys are concerned about his playmaking abilities. There's guys entering the game that haven't played yet this season. We had Brian Tyree get his first minutes. We had Josh Hall get his first minutes. And you saw David Johnson creating for them. So they're not f- exactly familiar with the team yet, but he's getting them familiar in a game setting, which is something, you know, you can speak to this, but you do it in practice all the time. It's not going to feel real until you're in a game. 
Exactly. And I mean, you talked about it, just being a floor general, someone that's being unselfish. It's cool to have an unselfish teammate who, you know, when you see guys coming off injuries, guys that haven't gotten actions before, they want to they want to get into the swing of things. So when you have someone that's looking for you, making you feel comfortable, it's always good. So for a guy like Josh Hall and also Brian, it's cool to see that David Johnson was sharing the sugar and going from good to great shots. Um, and I think that that's going to help out in the future. Yeah, for sure. And Brian Tyree, I mean, he came into this game, the first game, like guns a blazing. He was driving. He was like, he drew so, I think he drew, I think he drew six fouls at the line. And for a guy to come off of a pretty serious injury and play like that is really, it's terrifying as much as it is exciting. Very exciting. Um, it, it shows his mental capacity, man. It just means that he's very, very strong. To to go through an injury and to come back and stay aggressive and be six for six from the foul line, I mean, that just shows he's not afraid of anything. Um, and he, he's very uh, he's very impactful when he, when he gets into the paint and he looks to get his own shot. Yeah, and he was diving after every single loose ball for the 9 of 5, which was kind of what was missing a little bit in the second game in particular, but he was like, right. He was in there like swimwear. Like he was, <laughs> he was, <laughs> he was so aggressive that you're like, wait, this guy was injured. Like, are you sure? And then Josh Hall, he didn't have the best first game, but that's tough when you're coming off of a two-way contract with another team where you were such a high production member of the team to kind of settle into a lesser role. But he definitely found it the second game. Um, Isaac Bonga, of course, he fouled out the first game, but he was so impactful before that. It wasn't, and it wasn't even his best game. It's like such a luxury for us to be able to watch Isaac Bonga and go, oh, he didn't have the best game, and then look at his stats, and he's still got a double double. Crazy, thirteen points, fourteen rebounds. Um, like you said, the shot wasn't falling for him that game, but love to see a guy continue to affect the game in other ways outside of just scoring, you know, as a basketball player, you're going to have those nights. You're going to have nights where the ball is just not going to go in, no matter how much you prepare for it. There's going to be off nights and you don't want to get discouraged as a player. You want to continue to impact your team and find other ways to help make winning plays as a basketball player. And I love to see him do that. Like the fact that his shot wasn't falling, but he was still active on the glass. Um, It, it really shows his character. And like we talked about prior to this in the first episode, there's just so much, change between the roster and we just saw it now we have two new players that were playing that haven't played before so it's all about finding that chemistry and a lot of people don't know this but it's hard to get that chemistry because you don't practice as much as you think you'd practice especially in the nba and the nba g league because there's so much travel there's so many games all this load management you know so there's not always an opportunity to play practice to have that chemistry be um you know worked out in practice um, when you're just drilling stuff or working on skill development. So going forward with these next few games, hopefully they can kind of mesh together and, and, you know, see what the chemistry is like with different rotations. Yeah, for sure. I think with, with the um, rotations kind of starting to s- settle in and solidify, it's going to get a lot easier when you don't have like an in out player and then an up down player. So that should be helpful. But I want—I was curious what your thoughts are on this week between games. What does that do for team development, individual development, and just development of chemistry? Well, it kind of reminds me of being in university. Because in university, you know, most programs, especially high level, they have two games per week. So that gives you a whole bunch of practice time in between games. And that is similar to what's going on right now. You know, you don't play for a week. That allows you to have more practice time. 
um, because once you travel from the game, you're able to have those, you know, practices where you can watch a lot of film, where you can work on your skill development, and also you can work on different plays and adjustments. So I think it's, it's, it's imperative as a player when you have the opportunity to get into the gym and just be around your guys and just teach you know, what, what the team needs to be doing, the different goals and keep the, the the strategies intact. I think that it's hard to do that when you play so many games throughout the week. It's hard to make adjustments on the fly. That's why they're professionals. That's why in the NBA you have back-to-backs and you have, you know, a whole bunch of games, you know. So it, for me, it's as a player, I would take advantage of that. I would take advantage of the rest time. You know, that's a whole that's a whole week of recovery. It's kind of like a football player. You know, they play one game a week and they and, and it's for a reason. They had the, you know, they utilize the other days of the week to recover. And that's what the guys should be doing right now. You should you get the opportunity to rest, maybe have a day off, um, you know, ice, um, get your treatment. So for me as a basketball player, I really like to have that week gap. But then also as a competitor, it kind of sucks because you're like, man, I'm, I'm itching to play the next game. Like I'm ready, especially if you had a horrible game the game before. You're just like, man, I, I need that other opportunity so I could, you know, make up for the last one. So um, that's the, the, the probably the, po- the pros and cons to having, you know, games that far apart. And what do you think about the guys who aren't really getting minutes and then they have these games apart? I guess it's no different from like end of the bench guys that aren't getting minutes anyway. But what do you think it, it does to them with the week in between? Do you think that like you have to have a certain mental toughness in order to not spend that week, you know, going to all your favorite fast food restaurants in different states and stuff? Yeah, like we talked about in episode one, staying prepared is probably the best thing you could do. Um, I think I made an example of Andrew Rousey last last time. I think the second game when they when they sent some guys down and he was un, unable to play that game, he worked out after the game. So, like you said, having that week to to just kind of be within your own thoughts, you want to make sure that you're mentally prepared because um, you never know. Guys, the guys have injuries. Guys get called up. Um, so you just want to make sure that you're always prepared, stay ready. In between those games, you don't want to have the, the 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 horrible thoughts of not working and eating poorly and, and and succumbing to those kind of negative thoughts. You want to continue to strive to be the best teammate you can be, um, work on your game, watch film, and just make sure that you're, like I said, the best prepared as possible so that when you're put in the game, you could really shine. Yeah, that's the only reason I'm not a professional basketball player <laughs> is because I would be spending so much time on the road being like, oh, I can go to Chick-fil-A today. Oh, I can go to Shake Shack today. Like my whole life would revolve around snacks on road trips road trips are always the best i i promise you like you 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 get to go onto the road you get to meet a whole bunch of people but then you always find out these these especially me i'm a foodie so on the road it's like you get to find these spots and then it's cool because whenever you travel there with family and friends you get to look like you you're, you're the mayor of the city like oh i know where to go you want this? i know where to go so it's cool to do that yeah, I mean, I remember I used to, like, have guys bring me back, like, Chick-fil-A sauce and stuff. So, like, your road trips would benefit me as well. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I wonder what players think when they come here to Toronto and they're like, hmm, like, I'm really missing that, you know, Osmos right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm missing Osmos, Harvey's, <laughs> Swiss Chalet. <here. laughs> Could you imagine coming here and you're like, I just got to get that Swiss Chalet. got to get that Swiss Chalet. <laughs> just need that dirty bird. I need it. I need it. Yeah. <laughs> nah, definitely not. <laughs> a little less with Chalet, a little more what we didn't like in the first game. Yeah. So in the first game, it's it's hard. You know, they went on a huge lead. They took a huge lead and they allowed they allowed them to come back. And um it's very difficult when you come out on the road and you 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 impose your will and you have these large deficits. It's hard to stay in tune. You know, they have the home crowd on their side. They also, you know, rally behind them. So um, you know, you see that happen. Basketball is a game of runs. You always hear that saying from everybody. So you don't expect if you're up by 20 to stay up by 20. But um, sometimes it could be a little concerning 
as a team if you're always giving up these big leads. And we kind of saw a little glimpse of it um, when they when they opened the the the, the season opener. But, um, you know, going forward, you want to make sure you protect your, your lead. You want to stay disciplined in your principles. You want to continue to defend and you don't want to get relaxed. Um, I think that often happens a lot with players. Uh, you have a large you have a large lead and you start doing things. It, we, the, similar to what we talked about last episode, you know, you have players start, OK, we're up by 20. Let me get my stats. If you get a lead, you want to you want to continue to impose your will and try and double it. You're up by 15. You want to make sure you're up by 30. You're up by 20. You want to make sure you're up by 40. Just have that mentality. Being up by 20 doesn't mean anything, especially nowadays with with the way that teams are shooting the three ball. So you want to continue to protect that lead. So do you think that's what it is when they come out with kind of like lethargic and just like low energy in the second half? Do you think it's complacency? Do you think it's like we've got this in the bag? We don't really need to try anymore. That's that's what I believe. I mean, you know, you go into the half and you're up big. You, it's kind of like you you see the weakness in your opponent. You kind of think that, you know, they're, they're about to give up. And then you come out not as disciplined. And, and like you said, you get relaxed, you get complacent. And it's just natural. It, it's, it's, it happens to everybody. It happens in a lot of sports. You take your foot off the gas because you think you have the game in the bag. But, you know, if you want to be a successful team come the playoff times, then you want to clean those mistakes up. And you want to make sure that you come out in the third quarter with the same energy you started the game with, because you never want to give a team life. You never want to leave the door open. Basketball in particular, everyone is so competitive. Like you're not in this if you're not competitive. So when you come out at the half, uh, during the second half thinking, you know, we got this in the bag, they're coming out twice as hungry saying, no, the hell you don't. Especially in a way team. I I mean, sorry, especially when you're, you're a home team. When I'm a home team, and I'm playing in front of my fans and we're down by 20 at half, you best believe that, you know, my team is coming out guns blazing and we're just going to give everything we got because we don't want to be embarrassed on our home floor. So when you're an away team coming into a home environment and you know you have a team on the ropes, especially at halftime, third quarter, you want to make sure you take it to the next level because, like I said, there's that pride. Like you just said, as basketball players, they're competitive. If you're not competitive, you're not going to be a successful basketball player. So chances are everyone on the team is super competitive. Whether it's they want to play, whether it's they want to win, they're just super competitive. So you want to make sure that you don't give these guys the opportunity to come back. Yeah, I can't think of anything more embarrassing than just getting blown out on your home floor and not not being able to do anything about it. That's the worst. Because then you got to <laughs> – I keep talking about food. But then you got to go to the restaurant after the game and you have all the fans look at you like, man, good game. <laughs> <laughs> you go to your regular spots after the game. The waiter is just looking at you, just ah. <laughs> just, it's like a totally different walk of shame. <laughs> it's a different, it's a different feeling. So you know, fans, you go, the game's over. Nobody's like looking at you. Like maybe if you have a jersey on, someone like Martin might point and laugh. But <laughs> if you're a player, like you're, you're probably catching it from all angles after a game. Exactly. So it's a different level of pride that comes along with it. Oh man! But the second game, the second game was. Um, abysmal to say the least and I don't understand why other than the fact that the Nets had an entirely different roster 24 hours later I mean everyone that they started was drafted in 2021 I don't think that's ever happened in the G League before it's kind of a testimony to what you said earlier about the rosters always changing right so the rosters don't always necessarily change for your the particular team you're on in the G League sometimes you have those games i remember playing against teams where it's like you play a team on a friday you play them again on sunday and it's like they're sending down three players assignees and this guy was a dmp last game now he's playing so you have a whole roster change 
you know, the coaches are not stressing, but they have to make adjustments on the fly to the scouting report because this guy didn't play last game, but he's playing this game. They're sending down this guy. So you have to worry about the roster changes, not only for your own team, but also for other teams. And that's exactly what we saw um, happen on Saturday. I wonder if that's why Nick Nurse is so kind of like dodgy with his lineup sometimes. Like he won't tell us who's starting and then five minutes later he'll, or he'll say someone's not playing and then five minutes later they're starting. Basketball is a game of chess. Like, you know, it's what do they say is uh, 90% mental and 10% physical or whatever the saying is. That That is so true because basketball is a game of chess. You want to make sure that you're two, three steps ahead of your opponent at all times. So, yeah, you don't want to submit the lineup and then have your – they have the matchups ready, defenders of who they want to defend. If I'm Nick Nurse, you're right. I'm waiting until tip-off to submit my lineup. <laughs> <laughs> we had Cam Thomas come down on assignment and drop 46 points. 46 points. But a lot of his baskets were in transition. He was actually pretty efficient from the field. But someone who, you know, we take pride in our defense with the Raptors and the Raptors 905. That's like, you know, one of the things that they that they strive to do. So you, you have to kind of key on a guy like that, um, especially, you know, Cam Thomas's history and what he's about. So, you know, you just want to make sure you do a good job of, of adjusting, like we said, whenever teams bring guys down or um, whatever the case would be. You want to make sure that you, you, you really you know, adjust accordingly. You want to you want to make sure you really study that scouting report and prevent that person from getting off because guys like Tam- Cam Thomas are using this opportunity to show that they belong in the league. Yeah, and someone like, you know, Marcus Zagorowski, he came off the bench, but he provided the spark that kind of got Long Island back in the game during game one. So they inserted him into the starting lineup. And that's kind of something that as coaches you need to zero in on is, okay, this guy went off on us last night. He might not have been a starter, but we need to plan for him. Exactly. You have to pay attention a lot as a coach. You, you see you see a guy, like you said, getting hot in the first game and then make that adjustment and put him in the starting lineup is clearly because they feel like he, you know, is a great matchup against you and he's doing a lot for the team that's going to put them in a position to win. So when you notice those little nuances and the change in the starting lineup of, okay, when they put Marcus in the game, that you, you, should, you should realize what they're trying to do, um, inspire some confidence in their team, and that's exactly what they did. They had somebody just came in, he played very well, he played hard, and um, he was able to carry over from the game prior, and it showed. Yeah, and I mean, as far as the 905 go, Isaac Bonga had a great game the second game. But the thing is, we talk about him so much that it's just, I don't want it to become second nature to be like, oh, Isaac Bonga's killing it again. But it does because he's just so impactful in so many ways. You know, he was 10 of 16 from the field in the second game. Eight rebounds. Like, he was doing everything. They just couldn't hold on to that lead. Exactly. And he was very efficient. You want to make sure that everybody else is contributing. I Personally, I just love Kevon Harris's um, you know, his, his effort. I think that he's very solid and he brings a lot to the team. Um, you know, he had 15 points, um, seven rebounds, three assists, very, very efficient, four of eight from the field, um, three of six from the three-point line, two for two from the free throws. It was not looking too good in the, I mean, he left very early, like a minute into the first quarter because I think, I think he stepped on a foot wrong, but he came back. Um, and in the third quarter, he just kind of took over. Like, he's the reason the doors weren't completely blown off is because he just came in and did everything that was asked of him and then some. And he doesn't seem like the type of player to try and take over. He just seems like, you know, a workhorse. He's going to he's gonna do whatever is needed of him. He kind of showed some promise in his, his offensive rhythm. Um, he finally, you know, caught his, caught his wave. He had 14 points. He, he had a really good offensive showing, and, and that's very – Promising for somebody who takes defense really serious, like we talked about before, he's he's guarding you 94 feet, he's fighting through screens, 
Um, and it's very rewarding to see, you know, somebody who gives their all on defense kind of see the ball go through the basket on offense. And I'm hoping that that is something that he can continue to build on going forward and just continue to have that, you know, confidence in his offensive abilities. So a problem in both games, though, seemed to be the Raptors not being able to fight through a full court press. What are your thoughts, A, on not being able to fight through it and B, it being used at the professional level? You know, it's, this is this is actually pretty funny, but it, it's crazy because, like you said, in the NBA, they don't press a lot. In the NBA, they don't press a lot, if at all. You, teams usually press, you know, when it's the end of the game, they're down by a couple possessions, they need to get the ball, or they're trying to inspire some confidence real quick, they're trying to take some time off the clock. But because it's the professional level, it's extremely hard to press because you you have guys that are so good at breaking the press. There's, there's guys that could probably break the press themselves. So it's, it's a rarity to see teams press um, on defense. But like we talked about before, the lack of practice time in the NBA and the NBA G League, sometimes you're not putting in these situational stuff to prepare for these type of moments. So um, maybe that's what happened. Um, you know, hopefully this is a good thing to get on film. So going forward, whenever another team continues to try and impose their will by pressing us, that we'd be able to have some type of strategy to get through it. And we'll have people that could be poised and calm and be able to direct the traffic when it comes to being pressed. The vets kind of were out of their element in the second game, especially with the full court press. And I'm wondering if it's because they are vets, because they've been doing this for a little longer than everyone else. And they're kind of like, what the hell? They're throwing a full court press at me. Like they don't really know how to, to attack it or to navigate it. And you have guys like Joanna, you know, just dying to get to the rim, nothing being called. Mm-hmm. And he kind of doesn't know what to do in that. Not that he doesn't know what to do in that situation, but then, you know, they're stuffing the paint and he's kind of just left there, you know, getting hit with hard fouls, not getting called. Or you have Andrew Rossi try to pass out of it and it's just, it's not working. Yeah, it's, it's, it's extremely tough as a guard, especially seeing the press. And then, you know, everybody has to make sure they have their head on the swivel so they can see and become an outlet. One of the best ways to, to attack a press is, first of all, like I said, if you have a guard, just set a clip screen, let them go down the court. Or like we like to say, have, you know, like a dice where you have the five numbers on a dice. You want to kind of have the offensive positions mimic the five uh, spots on a dice. So you want to have, you know, two corners and at the end of the, the backcourt field, you want to have someone in the middle at all times because they can relieve the pressure um, whenever there's a trap. Because once you get the ball into the middle of the floor during a full court press, it's, it becomes a transition drill. It becomes three on two. It becomes two on one. It becomes four on three. So you want to attack the press that way because when you're pressing, you're going to give up something. You're going to give up something. And you want to make sure as a team you're, you're able to take advantage of a team that presses you because similar to a double team, you get you, you double somebody, that means somebody's open. So if you're pressing, that means that somebody's probably going to be open depending on the kind of you know press that you're implementing. But um, we have to make sure we do a better job of being prepared for that in the future. Do you, And yeah, that's definitely something that we're probably going to see in the next two games. Um against Delaware and old friend of the 905 Shamari Pons. What are you what do you expect to see from um the Raptors 905 against the Blue Coats? Well, you know, coming off a loss, you definitely like we said we have this time for rest, recovery and practice. You just want to make the necessary adjustments. We just talked about the full court press. That's something that I think that coach Matumbo will probably address in practice just in case that another team throws it in there. Um, you know, talk about just having that 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 urgency um, in the third quarter is something that's going to be very important for them as well. I'm, I'm sure coach is harping on that. And, you know, like you said, going up against Delaware, oh, it's going to be great. Um, you're going to be playing, you know, a guy in Shamari, Shamari Pons, who's a prolific scorer um, at the guard level, someone who used to play for the Raptors and the 905. So 
you know that he's going to be extremely motivated to play against his former team. So you want to make sure that you corral him and you you defend him as best as possible because players who have, you know, get the opportunity, nothing like, and I'm, I'm, this is me speaking as a, as a player as well, there's nothing like having a great game against your old team. He had a game um, the other day and he had, he had a 28-piece, very efficient 28-piece. So we want to make sure that we pay attention to him because he seems like he's someone that um, collided up in a hurry. Yeah, we've definitely, we've seen him kind of take on that like Mamba mentality where he's just like score, score, score. The stakes are a little bit higher as well because Delaware were the team that kind of squashed the 905's um, championship dreams in the bubble. They were the team to defeat them in the uh, single series playoff elimination semifinals. So there's there's going to be a lot of tension between these two games and it's going to be excited and exciting. And I'm just, I'm excited to see the way that the 905 bounce back and kind of recalibrate with this week off. Because if there's anything that Patrick Matumbo is going to do, it's it's going to be improve in areas that need to be improved in rather than highlight the areas that don't really need to be improved. After the win, he was like, um, you know, last week during the season opener, he, he spoke about it. He said we won, but we had 20, 20 something turnovers. So it's good to have a coach that's able to look at the glass half full, half empty, but also want to address the negatives, even though you guys are, even though we were able to get the win, he's still able to address the problems that need to be fixed going on in the future. So like you said, having this week of practice, I think he's going to do a good job of bouncing back. It's a true test of character. You know, once you lose a game and you have an opportunity to play again, you want to make sure that you really take advantage of that. So this is something that's going to test the team's character and it's going to test the ability to see if they can adjust. Um, you don't want to hang your heads. It's just a game. There's plenty of games throughout the season. So I think they're going to come out with a sense of urgency and they're going to come out um, looking to redeem themselves from the last loss. For sure. I mean, we saw the turnovers get cut in half after the, you know, 26 turnovers per game at home and then they came out and they had 13 in game one against long island so you can tell the things that coach values and the things that he's going to harp on that prepares you for the for the pros as well because you need to you need to be able to hear that criticism and you need to be able to fix it and not say you know well my scoring is great so i don't need to listen to anything else and i think that's what separates the 905 from a lot of teams um, speaking of a lot of teams, though, another returning foe for the Delaware Bluecoats, uh, Charlie Brown Jr. We have seen him a lot. He's played on um, four G League teams. I think this is his fourth. He's played for College Park. He's played for Iowa. He's played for OKC Blue. And now he's played for the he's playing for the Delaware Bluecoats. What do you think of playing for four different G League teams? How would like how would you feel as a player on your fourth G League team? Are you kind of waiting for that that one little person to see you and sign you? Or are you saying, you know what, if it doesn't come this year, I'm going overseas and I'm making a lot more money? Uh, I was a victim to that my first two years. Um, I had a really good good season with 905 and um, I had I had the opportunity to go overseas. But, you know, just just after having a great season and being around my family, playing in front of my friends and family and just, you know, after being away for so long to school, um, I, I decided to make a decision to come back. And a lot of players, I think, in the G League, they 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 err on the side of staying in North America because playing overseas is a grind. Like, you know, you're able to make more money, but at the same time, potentially more money, but at the same time, you're away from your family from nine to nine to ten months. You're, you know, there's a language barrier. 
is a food bit. Like it's not the same type of food. You're by yourself. It really, it really turns you into a domesticated person. You have to learn how to cook. You have to learn how to do things yourself and be real independent. So a lot of guys like to stay in North America. So this is what you have. You have guys that you know are going to play on a couple G League teams because they're looking and they they believe in themselves, and and they believe that they they have an opportunity to make it to the NBA. And if they're seen just enough that they're going to get that chance. So it's really on the player and what their goals are. But sometimes you don't want to sacrifice playing in the G League for too long and miss the opportunity of making maximize making money as a professional basketball player. So that's one of the things that is kind of a toss up. It depends on what your goals are and who you are as a player um, and what your opportunities are to potentially play in the NBA or not. So um, that's somebody that maybe he's, you know, he's played on a two way before prior before. So he's probably had that insight, that feedback of he just needs to work on this, that, or the third. And that's probably what he's been focusing on playing on, you know, the past couple of teams. I'm going to show these guys that I can be what they asked me to be. Um, otherwise, then, you know, you know, he probably should maximize his time and just make some, as much money as he can because you can't play basketball forever. Every conversation's coming back to food. I mean, like, you're like, yeah, there's a food barrier. And I'm thinking, okay, so I would play in Greece, I would play in Spain, I would play in Italy. <laughs> right. I mean, man, you need, you, need, you need to make sure you eat good or else you're not going to play well. So <laughs> food and basketball correlates. Was it Dirk or Tim Duncan or both that used to bring a plate of homemade, like home-cooked meals wrapped in tinfoil before games? I think that was Dirk, right? Probably Dirk. What's your, what was your pregame meal when you were with the 905? Well, which ones brought you the most success? Like you ate it and then you're like, went off. Ooh, I'm not going to talk about the postgame meals that you used to bring for the team that <laughs> <laughs> that probably didn't fit in the, the nutrition, guy, but they tasted really good. Um, but before games, I mean, I, I'm a player that personally, I don't like to play on a heavy stomach. You know, it's always good to get your mom's home cooked meal. Um, a couple hours before the game. So I'd probably do that. Or um yeah, I would I'd probably get a nice, nice, nice Italian dish, something that's that could give me enough carbs, a lot of energy, so that by the time game time rolls around in, in, in four to five hours. Cause like I said, I don't like to eat right before a game. Um and if I do, you know, the locker room always provides you with fruit snacks, peanut butter and jam sandwiches. So if you're if you're feeling like a little a little munchy, then you could you could snack on some stuff that you know the trainers provide. But um uh, you know, funny enough, I just realized that there's this little whole coffee thing going on in the NBA and the G League where it's like, you know, a lot of guys are drinking coffee before the games. That's like the that's like a trick. Yeah. Doesn't it? I mean, I don't drink coffee, so I have no idea. But doesn't it kind of like wear off at halftime? Like, do you go and have like an espresso? <laughs> it's like, it's like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what guys. I just know that being a rookie for nine on five that one time I had to. I had, to, I had to do a Starbucks run for a couple of players, so you know, I, <laughs> I ended up joining there. I ended up joining that and becoming a, 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 a coffee drinker before game as well. So it definitely. And did you notice a difference? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm the American anthem and the, <laughs> and the Canadian national anthem. I'm like, yo, we need to get this. I, I'm ready. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm on the bench. Like, yo, sub me in. Like, I'm ready to play. And then some guys have pre workout, which is essentially the same thing. They put caffeine in that, so that, that's where the connection is. Um, a lot of guys have to drink supplements and stuff, but the supplements have caffeine. So some people just opt out for just coffee. So it's whatever the preference is. But yeah, I definitely notice a difference. But you don't want to get addicted to that. You want to make sure that you're still able to self-motivate yourself and be ready to play at, at any time. Yeah, interesting. Um, what about halftime eating? Do you guys ever go and like chomp on a sandwich at halftime? Halftime? I, th- I think it depends on your day, right? If you, if you, yeah, but I've seen guys do that. I've seen guys make a PB&J during half. 
I've seen guys, you know, eat, eat a banana or eat some fruits during half or, you know, the Gatorade, uh, you know, those those protein bars, um, those gummies, those Gatorade gummies. There's a lot of things that the G League and the NBA provides in the locker room where if you if you're feeling a little snackish, um, you can get some get some quick fuel that won't affect you and be too heavy on your stomach while you're, when you return in the third quarter. This could be a whole separate episode, but we did end up turning this entire one into an episode about food. So I think that's a good place to to leave off. Um, the Raptors 905 are in Delaware for two matinee games, actually, Saturday and Sunday upcoming. So you can check those out on the website for free. You can find us on Twitter at West Side Stories. You can find us at Raptors Republic. Dwayne, where can we find you on socials? Social media, Instagram and Twitter. Twitter, do take notice. D-U-U, take notice. And Instagram is just do notice. D-U-U-N-O-T-I-C-E. And you can find me on Twitter at Kelsey underscore lately. And we will see you again next week. We're going to eat now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> this was saga feel like in the nighttime. Watch what she doing.